This is chapter 62 from the ACSM book on the patellofemoral joint. So let's review anatomy. Patella is the largest sesamoid bone in the body. Blood supply from peripatellar plexus. Patella articulates with the femoral sulcus, otherwise known as the trochlea. It's asymmetrically oval in shape, the apex distal, and enveloped by fibers of the quads tendon and blends with the patellar tendon distally. Patella serves as a fulcrum for quadriceps muscles, and the main biomechanical function is to increase the moment, the moment arm of the quadriceps mechanism. Patellar surface is divided into two large facets, medial and lateral, which is separated by a central ridge. The facets are covered by the thickest hyaline cartilage in the body, and it may measure up to 6.5 millimeters. Superior three-fourths of patella are articular, and the inferior one-fourth is non-articular. The contact area between the patella and femur varies with knee position. 10 to 20 degrees of knee flexion, the distal pole of the patella contacts the femoral trochlea, but as, as flexion increases, contact the patella moves proximally and medially, with the most extensive contact being made at approximately 45 degrees. Contact stresses on the patellofemoral joint are higher than any other major weight-bearing joint in the body. Contact area and load across the joint with increase with knee flexion and compressive forces can range from 3.3 times body weight with stair climbing to 7.6 times body weight with squatting. The patellar medial facet varies anatomically and it may be divided into medial facet proper and a small odd facet. The odd facet may develop as a response to functional loads and does not contact the medial femoral condyle except in extreme flexion. Several ossification centers contribute to the patella, and failure of fusion can lead to bipartite patella that can be classified in three types. Type 1 is inferior, type 2 is lateral, and type 3 is superolateral, which is the most common. Bipartite patella is most often discovered accidentally during radiographic x-ray of the knee for another reason. Rate of bipartite patella is about 1%. These cases are more than 55% or unilateral. Bipartite patella may mimic patellar sleeve fracture in children or an osteochondral fracture after trauma on plain x-rays. Within the medial retinaculum is the medial patellofemoral ligament and the medial patellotibial ligament. The medial patellofemoral ligament originates from the adductor tubercle and inserts on the medial border of the patella. This plays a major role in preventing lateral dislocation of the patella in the most commonly injured structure in acute patellar dislocations. Lateral retinaculum is composed of a superficial and deep layer and runs from lateral margin of patella and the patellar tendon to the anterior aspect of the IT band. The patellar tendon varies in length from 4 to 6.9 centimeters and it connects the apex of the patella to the tib tuberosity and is slightly wider proximally than distally. Patella is commonly associated with either alta or baja, meaning it is high or low in reference to standard controls, and patients with patella alta have, may have instability, whereas patients with patella baja may display limited range of motion. This is commonly a consequence of surgery or trauma. Thickness is 4.7 centimeters, with the mean being 5.5 approximately, and 5 to 7 centimeters, the mean of 5.4 centimeters in its mid-substance. Patellar pain. The single most common cause of knee pain involves pathology related to patella. Patellar pain or discomfort may be from direct trauma, repetitive direct pressure, constant repetitive movements, with the knee in a flexed position, instability, malalignment, or a combination. It can arise from bony, soft tissue, or even referred pain from hip or spine. Symptoms that begin during relatively normal activities slash sports should alert the physician that the knee may not have been normal in the first place, or that there is a chronic overuse injury. 
If the knee swells significantly within the first 12 to 24 hours after a traumatic knee injury, this signifies that there is blood or hemarthrosis. The most common cause of an acute hemarthrosis after sports related knee injury is a tear of the ACL, and with the second being a traumatic patellar dislocation or subluxation with bleeding as a result of either soft tissue tearing, osteochondral fracture, or both. The physical exam should begin with general inspection for skin abrasions, contusions, lax, and surgical incisions. It's important to document the overall alignment of the leg while the patient is standing, seated, and supine. Start with them in the standing position. Observe the amount of standing varus or valgus alignment. Patellofemoral crepitus is best elicited by having the patient stand and then squat down with the examiner's hands over the patella, noting what arc of motion the crepitus occurs. Retropatellar crepitus that is painful and occurs in either early flexion or terminal extension indicates disease on the distal part of the patella. Painful arc with crepitus in greater degrees of flexion and indicates more proximal portion of patella. Also observe for excessive pes planus or other abnormal foot alignments while standing. With the patient in the seated position, observe patellofemoral tracking with the patient seated over the edge of the table while slowly flexing, extending from zero to 90. Observe for high or lateral patellar positioning, grasshopper eyes, small patella, patella alta, and vastus medialis oblique dysplasia. Also, the examiner should observe for signs of J tracking. Patella deviates laterally in terminal extension as the patient extends the knee from a flex position, thus mimicking a J. Thigh circumference should be measured as a consistent level above the knee to assess quads atrophy. Palpate for crepitation, suggesting possible control injury, noting at what degree of knee flexion the crepitus is present to delineate between proximal and distal lesions. With the patient's supine, patellar alignment and Q angle, the angle between the ASIS patella and tibial tubercle are measured. Q angle less than 15 is normal. Q angle should be assessed with the knee flexed at 30 degrees when the patella should be centered in the trochlear groove. An angle greater than 25 degrees with this method is indicative of an abnormally lateralized patellar vector. If the patella is subluxated, the Q angle can lead a falsely low measurement. One finger palpation is important to localize tenderness, whether it is in the retinaculum or the medium lateral patellar facets. These are best done by placing one finger under the respective facet and pushing the patella over that side with the other. Quads tendon and patellar tendon are also best palpated in a resting fashion with the knee extended. Point tenderness at the inferior pole of the patella at the attachment of the patellar tendon is typically with patellar tendonitis or jumper's knee. Tenderness is more pronounced within the patellar tendon relaxed with the knee in the extended position. Usually, this is less tender within the, with the knee in the flex position. Lateral displacement may cause apprehension. It's called the apprehension sign for prior dislocation. When assessing for instability, measure patellar mobility or patellar glide based on the maximum amount of passive displacement of the patella, both medially and laterally with the knee at 0 and 30 degrees. This evaluates the integrity and tightness of the medial and lateral restraints. The SAGE sign tests the amount of medial translation patella in 20 to 30 degrees of flexion with respect to the same quadrant system. Any translation greater than two quadrants or a side-to-side -side difference is considered abnormal. The passive patellar tilt test determines the tension of the lateral restraints. With the knee fully extended, the patella is manually elevated. A passive tilt test of less than zero degrees, neutral or below the horizontal line, may imply lateral retinacular tightness.
increased patellar tilt, and a diagnosis of excessive lateral pressure syndrome, ELPS, or ELPS. Documentation of the full range of motion should be done in the supine position as well. Femoral antiversion and tibial torsion should be examined with the patient in the prone position. Patients who present with patellofemoral complaints should undergo standard knee x-rays to rule out sociopathology. These include bilateral weight-bearing, AP, flexion, PA, a true lateral radiograph at 30 degrees of flexion, and bilateral axial views at 30, 60, and 90 degrees. The standard patellar radiograph is the axial view or sunrise view. It's generally performed with the patient supine with the knee flex at 45 degrees to evaluate for articular cartilage loss, tilt, and subluxation. The Loren view, 20 degree sunrise view, may be more sensitive for delineating subluxation or tilt. The flexion lateral view at 30 degrees is important for patella alta and infera, as well as trochlear dysplasia. CT scan from 0 to 60 degrees of knee flexion may be useful for tilt and subluxation. Axial images will allow measurement of the tibial tubercle to trochlear groove, the TT to TG distance, which should be less than 16 millimeters. This important measurement gives an accurate quantitative assessment of subluxation. MRI can also help delineate this pathology. There have been many studies examining the role of MRI for eval of articular surfaces of the patellofemoral joint. Most of these known underestimation of damage in early stages of cartilage damage. MRI was more useful in moderate to advanced patellar cartilage damage and also useful in detecting intraarticular pathologies such as meniscus, cruciate, collateral, or osteochondral lesions. General treatment of patellofemoral pain. Non-op is mainstay. NSAIDs may be beneficial if an inflammatory component present. Simple bracing with a patellar cutout or patellar stabilizing braces may be beneficial to many patients. Different types of braces act either to help recreate proper tracking or via lateral buttress effect. Taping techniques such as those described by McConnell to stabilize subluxation or tilt may also be beneficial. Simple stretching and exercises can be easily learned by patients and are very useful. Prone quadriceps stretching, retinacular stretching, and short arc isotonic close or open chain quadriceps strengthening can all be useful in diminishing pain from patellofemoral dysfunction. Isokinetic, eccentric, and high torque exercises can cause high articular surface pressures and should be avoided. A synovial plica is a redundant fold in the synovial lining of the knee. This is a normal finding but may rarely become symptomatic when it becomes inflamed or fibrotic. A symptomatic plica is most commonly located on the medial side with a localized tender thickening along the medial border of the patella or condyle on palpation when the knee is at 45 degrees of flexion. An audible snap with flexion may sometimes be elicited with a plica. So again, it's a redundant fold in the synovial lining. Non-op management of plica includes relative rest, flexibility exercises of the hamstrings, quad strengthening, and NSAIDs. If the synovial plica is significantly scarred or fibrotic and cannot be rehabbed, arthroscopic excision is indicated. Excessive lateral pressure syndrome, or ELPS, or lateral facet syndrome, represents a loss of equilibrium of the patella in the trochlea associated with tilt. This results in increased pressure on the lateral patellar facet, usually secondary to a tight lateral retinaculum. The patient with ELPS, hi Reese. The patient with ELPS usually has a spontaneous or post-traumatic onset with patellofemoral arthralgia, and occasionally swelling and giving way may be present. 
The patients are commonly tender over the lateral patellar facet and radiographs or CT will usually show lateral patellar tilt on the axial views. Early treatment consists of non-op measures including lateral retinacular strengthening, taping, and, strength, and stretching. Operative management may include lateral release alone or with lateral patellar facetectomy after conservative treatment fails to provide relief. Patellar malalignment and instability are two separate issues. Malalignment indicates maltracking of the patella based on exam and imaging studies. The TT to TG distance can give a quantitative measure of trochlear groove to tibial tubercle offset, which along with history and exam can suggest distal malalignment. A TT to TG distance of 12 to 15 millimeters is normal, whereas greater than 20 is abnormal. Instability is a functional symptom with the patella transiently displacing, usually lateral, either partially subluxation or completely dislocation. The main soft tissue restraint to lateral subluxation of the patella is the medial patellofemoral ligament, which is usually injured in acute traumatic patellar dislocation. Initial treatment for instability is non-op with stretching, strengthening, McConnell taping, and bracing. Surgical correction is indicated when there is a failure of non-op management or evidence of progressive articular cartilage damage as a result of the instability. Patellar realignment for recurrent instability is categorized as either proximal realignment, tightening, repairing, or reconstructing the medial soft tissue patellar restraints, or distal realignment, transposing the tibial tubercle medially or intermedially to correct tubercle malalignment as documented by an abnormal Q angle or TT to TG distance. Hi. Moving the tibial tubercle, distal realignment cannot be performed before skeletal maturity. Medial patellar instability is uncommon but can occur following previous lateral retinacular release. Traumatic versus atraumatic instability is treated differently. Both should have x-rays on presentation. It's imperative to obtain axial radiograph in the ER for an acute traumatic patellar dislocation or subluxation. Immediate referral should be obtained for acute subluxation dislocation. Acute patellar dislocations are treated surgically if there are displaced osteochondral lesions or for failure of reduction, which can only be assessed on the axial view. Osteochondral injury. Osteochondral injuries are frequently encountered following acute traumatic subluxation or dislocation. They will commonly give a history of a traumatic event with possible continued instability, and they also may have symptoms of a loose body within the knee joint. They are best evaluated by x-rays, CT scan, and MRI in order to determine the size and location of the fragment. Osteochondral fractures should be evaluated acutely with arthroscopy. Large articular fragments can and should be fixed acutely, whereas non-displaced stable fractures can be managed non-surgically. Fractures of the patella are most commonly from direct trauma to the anterior knee. Patella fractures can also occur via indirect mechanisms such as jumping or rapid flexion of the knee with maximal quadriceps contraction. Patella fractures are most commonly transverse and are best seen on lateral x-ray. Vertical fractures are rare and best seen on sunrise. Fracture types include undisplaced, transverse, lower or upper pole, comminuted, vertical, and stellate. Undisplaced fractures with an intact articular surface and preserved extensor mechanism are treated non-op with six weeks of bracing and casting and extension, followed by progressive range of motion exercises. So flex, 
brace and extension. Displaced fractures are those with at least three millimeters of cortical disruption or two millimeters of articular step off on radiographs. These are treated with open reduction internal fixation. Fractures that occur with patellar dislocation most commonly involve the lateral condyle or medial patellar facet. With a traumatic avulsion of the VMO and a previously normal knee, surgical repair and early motion are indicated. And that's the end of this chapter.